So how did that feel for you, that episode, that little yeah. conversation we had? No, I think it was good. I think we covered a lot of ground. I think there are bits people will resonate with and pe- bits people won't resonate with, basically, and that's all right. But I, I think also it would be great for people to give us some feedback if there's something they – like you touched on there that there were a lot of topics that you'd like to actually cover in more depth. Mm. If other people want to hear stuff, they can anonymously send us oh, definitely. information about that and say, hey, could you do something on this? And if people want to come on and join us for an episode, well, we can organise that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you want to reach out to us, there's always options available. And we're also very curious. Like, I'm always wanting to think about more things. And, you know, sometimes people have ideas that I just don't think Hello, don't mind me. Just giving a little introduction before the new episode begins. We are trying something new. Uh, for this month and we're going to talk from a more conversational perspective so it's going to be a little bit longer than usual. Hey Tina. Hey Ruby how are you today? I'm good. How are you enjoying the cold? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I like cold when I'm inside and it's warm. Mm. I do not like cold when I'm outside and I was saying goodbye to my last client and went outside to do that and almost died because I have become acclimated to being inside today. Oh, really? Yes. Very little movement outside today. See, I love the rainy days. Like, so it's really cold where we are right now. Yeah. Rainy and there's ice almost. And I don't know, I just love the feeling of like snuggling up to something. Yeah, fair call. That fair feeling well, of... the feeling of snuggling up and being warm and, and safe and comfortable. Interesting. Um, Yes, so I've been doing uni work on trauma, grief and loss all day. Um, So snuggling up to that is not something I would associate with warmth and safety today. Well, warmth, yes, because the house is warm, but safety in terms of what I've been studying, not so much. Did you know, actually, um, I was reading part of my research today was about Foucault who... um, has made an assertion a while ago that um, mental asylums were created because when the leper communities left their dwellings behind and leprosy sort of died out, uh, no pun intended there, sorry, um, the buildings needed to be used. So they started to house those mentally insane, and I've put that in finger speech marks there and he alleges that it's because society has always needed scapegoats and they've always used the other to do that and so there were the lepers there were um the witches Mm. moving into the jews and a whole like we know the minority groups through history um and ultimately ending up with those that fit outside of the realms of acceptable social mental health yeah yeah, which is interesting. It's very similar with Sigmund Freud's the uncanny, the uncanny effect as well. Yeah. This idea of looking at something that's familiar but not. Yeah. There's always that nervous tension. Yeah. So, I mean, how can a healing journey sound be familiar for us? How can we face the unknown and the uncanny? Well, I think we have to do it honestly. And you're right that what we... 
all of us go through periods of time in life that are hard, that we've got something we have to move through that we have to recover from. And um, for us with the Institute, it's sexual trauma. And so it's a, it's a big trauma. And a lot of it, um, for a lot of victims, happens in childhood. So it changes the way the brain functions and all of the rest of it. So it's a hard journey. It's a long journey. But there are elements of all of us as victims that sometimes ping for other people that makes them exceptionally uncomfortable, I think. And it's that realization that there's elements of impact that you don't need to be a sexual trauma victim to understand or identify with yeah i completely agree in that i think trauma the effects of trauma no matter what type it is is very similar across all avenues and fields right like physical sexual emotional Oh, I think there are distinct differences between the sexual and the physical. Mm-hmm. I've got, and it's funny, I was talking um, to Lorna about this the other day because she's working with sexual trauma survivors now. And um, it's a very, I think it's actually a very different field. I think the rewiring that is required in the brain for a sexual trauma survivor victim, victim predominantly, is so very different because it really changes the way that they process the world that they live in Mm -hmm. and that they experience every day. And Mm -hmm. those stories that are formed predominantly because of the shame, which is the bigger difference, I think. I'm not saying that in other forms of trauma there's no shame. There is. But not that same sort of violatory shame that comes from sexual childhood sexual abuse in particular and sexual assault to a lesser degree in some cases obviously every case is different so i think there are some very big differences between healing sexual trauma and other types of trauma yeah i can i mean i can definitely see where your point is i what got me there was when you said the difference between childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault because you're right they are two different types of violation how do you think they affect people differently I think um, with childhood sexual abuse, you're rewiring from the youngest years when you're still developing. Um, You have no other frame of reference or context for the world. So your understanding of the world, your understanding of yourself, your understanding of your body all happens in those early formative years. And that violation and that loss of power and that vulnerability and that ensuing shame that um, occurs changes the way your brain's rewired sexual trauma or sexual assault as an adult still impacts those same things that sense of identity the shame the violation and the power but you have a frame of reference of the world prior Mm. to that which children from sexual abuse don't have and your brain has already formed its wiring as an adult sexual assault victim Having said that, you've obviously also got that that group of people who are childhood sexual abuse victims and then become sexual assault victims as adults as well. And I think that compounds the damage that was done in childhood. Definitely. And unfortunately, there's a high case of that too. Absolutely. Where overlap. Yeah. So do you feel that like the healing journey for those are different? I think so. I think they've got similar elements. I think 
Look, I think the journey for childhood sexual abuse victims today is different to the journey for childhood sexual abuse victims in the 70s and 80s and Mm. potentially even the 90s. Um, Because in Australia, mandatory reporting only came out in 1987 and pretty much everyone that fell before that or just after it missed the... Well, child protection education didn't really exist either. So there was no talking about it in community. There was very little talking about it with anyone. It was very hush-hush, which magnifies the shame. I've noticed in our clients today that children, when they're given early intervention and early support, are actually able to become quite normally functioning for the most part in their day-to-day lives the longer that intervention is left the longer the healing process is because there's been longer for the brain to be altered by the experience in a negative way for those stories to develop that we tell ourselves yeah exactly and I think definitely the point of what you said about the longer the intervention is the harder it is or the longer it is to heal yeah so I mean, for people who want to start but don't know where, what should they do? Because it, it's, su- it's such a nervous journey to start. Oh, Lord. And do you know, because I'm so far along mm. that healing path now, I sometimes forget what it was like in the early days for me. So women of my generation, I'm in my 50s, um, and we have a lot of older clients. They're our main demographic from 35 up. We were born in a time where it was very commonplace and very not talked about, so you felt very much isolated and alienated. I know um, when I started my journey, when I was at uni, I started to see a psychologist because I had some suspicions and wasn't quite sure what was going on in my brain. And that sort of started the journey for me. I was quite clinical in my approach to it. I was a psychology student, so I was, I'd was i looked all the behavioural indicators up and had written them all down and went into her and said, hey, Kate, um, these are the behavioural indicators I'm demonstrating in my life for childhood sexual abuse. I need you to look at them and tell me if this is what actually happened to me. Mm-hmm. I'm one of many that don't have... I do now, but I didn't have concrete memories at the time. I just had been having a lot of dreams slash nightmares. I was really starting to close in on myself because I was out of my home environment. So it was, in a sense, safe for me to start exploring repressed memories and um, that feeling of knowing that something was not right and working through to understand what exactly it was. So, And then I spent a lot of my 20s was in in a dark period I was very moody I was swinging between depression and um not depression um all of the time I was a lot of suicide ideation I felt very different I'd always felt different but I felt very different from other people and I wasn't able to articulate that because I was feeling a lot of shame Mm -hmm. and a lot of uncertainty and confusion and pain, a deep emotional pain. Um, I wanted to have a child in my 30s, so I started to do some work, um, little bits and pieces, and it was only, realistically, it was only in 2017 that I started consciously healing that childhood sexual abuse and have spent a lot of those years doing that work and a lot of darkness rubes it's so your question was what's the first step my advice today would be different to what it was back then because i suffered in silence and i would not ever 
ever advise anybody to do that sexual trauma has happened to so many people so many people too many people males and females and i would start by going to a support group Mm -hmm. funnily enough we offer three but um and one of them is online decatur for people who aren't in our local areas where we we run them but i would start with a support group because you don't have to speak yeah you're not the only one there um so there's less pressure to share your story and there's you're still being seen by other people but you're also in a community whereby there's a shared language because there's a shared understanding and like we had a few new people at our macarthur support group last month and um one of the girls is someone that i'd been working with individually and she said i'm i'm probably not going to say anything and i said it's perfectly all right you just come in within the first hour she had started sharing her story parts of it um intense parts of it that she never thought she would share and for a lot of people that come to support group it's the first time they've actually spoken about their trauma Mm. and they feel safe I can't speak for all support groups. I know with ours, they don't suit everybody. I facilitate them with either Patty or Lorna and Agnes is joining um, at MacArthur. So we facilitate them. We're not the right fit for everyone and no one therapist or one institute or organisation is ever going to be Mm -hmm. the right fit for everybody. Um, So it's important to find somewhere that suits you. And if at first it's not the right fit, don't give up. So that's my first. I think a support group is a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second would be seeing a therapist that has a good reputation mm-hmm. and a strong understanding of the lived experience of sexual trauma as well as the understanding of therapeutic methods. And yeah. to find those people, you need to speak to them. Because, again, not everybody who's trained in that area is going to be the right fit for you. Exactly, and I think, you know, sexual trauma is is so niche of an area of healing, and I think it's so important that, you know, you're with the right person. And I mean, you know, like we had the last month episode on the safe space, Mm. which is really good for anyone if they want to listen to that to see what um, support groups are like from people in it. I know I was in it. Um, So with the Pandora's box of uncovering sexual trauma, right, how... Or why should you face that fear and shame of uncovering your sexual trauma? One of the benefits. There's a thing called post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. that occurs. I am um, and have been in that phase for a few years now. I would say I've only hit real survivorship this year. And prior to that, I was still a little bit in victim mostly in survivor so it's a transition process Mm -hmm. but post-traumatic growth is where you have a stronger appreciation of your life Mm -hmm. and what it means Mm -hmm. you're able to make changes that suit you Um, you can become an advocate not that you have to be but you start to do things that bring you joy you have better quality relationships with people you stop living from those old stories of people pleasing and I'm not worthy Mm -hmm. and I have deep shame and I'm something to be hidden and 
um, I want to die, basically. You move from those narratives into a narrative of empowerment. Yeah. It, having said that, like I make that sound, and when I spoke at the high tea, a couple of people there um, said that they felt a lot of pressure to reach that point and that they weren't there and they've been um, working through for a long period of time. Everybody is different. The, there's a lot of darkness in that healing process and realistically no one who goes through it would recommend it for anyone because it's horrible and it's gut-wrenching and it really makes you confront the darker sides of yourself and the darker sides of your life but through that darkness and being cliche with our motto now light comes through and the light starts in time to take over the darkness and then you hit that point of balance where the darkness is just normal adult darkness that we encounter with the normal stresses of life that you're able to better cope with because you've done all this intense work on releasing darker stuff so your quality of life is better so like there were a lot of times in my healing journey that I said which I'm still on, by the way, but which I, where I said to people, oh, if you haven't started, don't, don't do it. Don't do this to yourself because it's horrible. But now that I'm further along it, I think do it because the quality of life you have afterwards, I'll be honest, is probably better than the quality of life I would have had had I not been a victim. Yeah. And I know that's slightly controversial, but there have been not benefits in the trauma and in the sexual abuse itself but there have been benefits through the healing process yeah there definitely is and for me personally one of the benefits is finding like my identity Mm. that I'm not just a victim or someone that you know went through what I went through and I think that's one of the best gifts I've received from my healing journey is I know who I am Mm. at least I know who I am at my age that's exactly right because I think we're always unraveling who we are and as human beings we should always be growing so our core could possibly be stable but so like our core values and things like that but our identity depending on how you define identity can always be shifting Mm. and I think it changes at different parts of the healing journey as well so like I know how I identified a couple of years ago when I was still slightly victim but more survivor is different to how I identify where I'm 98% survivor and maybe 2% victim. Mm. Um, and those those victim parts are so quick and fleeting now because it's re- literally just revisiting old stories in times of depleted energy or, or high stress. So even my identity still shifts and how mm. I see myself, if we term that as identity, is shifting. So... I intellectually have always known who I am, embodying it and wholly believing it and feeling it in the soul and the heart is very different. And I think as you move further along the healing journey, that becomes more grounded and more rooted for you. Yeah. It's not a look, but like we've got some beginning healers with us at the moment and they remind me, watching them go through what they're going through reminds me of how hard that process was. Um, and how important it is that like places like us exist because I did all of that on my own Mm. all of that drowning was I had no lifelines to reach out to um, because society was different and sexual trauma in particular wasn't talked about as much or at all really in the field in the circles that I kept and so 
it is important i think the fundamental thing in healing is sharing your story not the nitty-gritty details they're private you choose who you share those with but just being able to say hey this happened to me and it's fucked and i wish it hadn't but it has and it's impacted who i am yeah and i want someone to share this with me and because dr brene i always bang on about her Mm. but she says the only antidote to shame is empathy and you get empathy from people who understand your experience Mm. and you'll find those people in well pretty much you can find those people anywhere because so many people have been sexually assaulted or have some sort of sexual trauma so most people will have some understanding of what you're talking about at some level it's just you've also got to be conscious that you might trigger them or activate them, whichever word we want to use with that. Yeah, and I've also noticed that the healing journey is different with each generation and with mm-hmm. each age group. Like, I'm 25 and I've even noticed that the way people younger than me view trauma is so different to how I was raised. Like, okay. sure. like when I was a kid in high school, we always learnt about stranger danger. But we never learnt about abuse and lack of consent in the family. It was yeah. always, you respect your elders, you do what they tell you. Yeah. Whereas now, yeah. consent is so talked about now. Yeah. I feel like, you know, even with my sisters who are younger than me and even people, you know, who are teenagers, they yeah. just have such a wider knowledge of what that means. Some do. Yeah. Some do. Um, and I think you're you're right in the sense that there's a greater consciousness mm. that most people who are sexually traumatized are sexually traumatized by somebody that they know, mm. um, by that someone that's in their their field. They're either an acquaintance, family member, often more often than not a family member, or a friend of the family, or a friend of the family. Mm. And um, it is so important for people to be conscious. I have interesting views on the consent thing. Um, I think we could potentially be going too far with that. I think, and we've always got to go to the extremes in society to find the counterbalance to see where things fit. But I think um, normal, healthy human relationships are suffering as a result of extremism in so many areas of healing and so many areas of everything in society. Keeping in mind, I'm 52. Can you share more about oh, that? I don't That's know that I want to. Um, it is important for people to be cognizant of another person when they are with them mm-hmm. and being conscious of how they're behaving and of, like, if you've been... Well, also, I think sex is treated quite flippantly in our society and... I don't think people take enough time. I'm very traditionally valued. I, and I think that's as a result of my trauma. I don't think people take enough time to get to know somebody that they're going to be intimate with. And I think that changes the necessity for consent. Not that it's implied. It's not. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when you have two conscious people in relationship you are aware of the other person and if you spend time getting to know them you can read through the behavioral or emotional indicators that may when a lot of people who have been through sexual trauma cannot give consent verbally because if they're in a situation that 
where the consent's been given, but then in the act they freeze, they're unable to change that consent. I think it comes down to being quite healthily minded in your relationships and knowing the person that you're being intimate with. I, I, you've heard me bang on about that a lot and I maintain that. I think we need to be more conscious and careful with who we're choosing as our partners and how quickly we jump into sex. I definitely agree with um, how high casual sex is, mm, is now. It's disgraceful. It's quite normalised. It is. And to what end? Mm. Having, look, don't get me wrong, I have been there. I've experienced that in my younger years. Um, and I think that's helped me clearly define what I do expect now in relationships that are intimate. And if I could impart that lived wisdom to the younger generation, I would. I know. I always remember you always say, you always say Steve Harvey would yeah. said... It takes three months to build emotional intimacy, and I think that's really true. Well, even longer. Yeah, true. Even longer, realistically. Three months is an arbitrary number plucked out of the air. Every relationship's different. But I think there's a lot of shame put on people who don't want to enter into a sexually intimate relationship quickly and who want to take their time to get to know the other person. I think there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of pressure on people to perform sexually, even in... Like, not just casual sex, but in... Like, I think those pressures exist as well. Everyone's got to be having sex. There seems to be... I know you've talked about it in your generation. My generation's a bit older, so it's not necessarily like that. But there's more of a reclaiming of sexuality and what that means in my generation, I think. But um, I, I just think we're too flippant. So consent, I think, can go... I always, when I say consent, I think of that horrible government ad that came out about the milkshakes oh yeah yeah and i I watched that and thought oh my god if someone offers you a milkshake (laughs) just disgraceful like we should always like when kids are talking about sexual assault or sexual abuse they should always use appropriate language and milkshakes as a metaphor for consent does not i remember use the word when i was in high school it was teacup was it? If someone gave you a teacup and you drank it halfway and you said you didn't want it anymore, then you should be allowed to not drink the rest of that tea anymore. And just let it go cold, and absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or tip it out. Like, useless. Just use the right words. Mm. If you're in the middle of an act of sex and you don't want that anymore and you're in a position to say no, say no. So another thing that comes is a lot of... Um, Oh, a lot of, not a lot, I shouldn't, I'm generalising when I say a lot, but I've encountered people in my work who, um, predominantly women, who have not been able to say no and have, instead of running or risking injury, have just thought, I'm just going to deal with this later, but then they feel guilt and shame that they didn't say no. But they feared for their safety in that moment. And I think, again... This is what, and I might be wrong, it might, well, it does happen in, in healthy, intimate relationships, we know that. But I think if you're in a healthy, intimate relationship, you deal with it differently. Mm. Like you talk about it, you work through it, It's it doesn't become demonised to the extent that 
the silence around other things does and I think silence is what creates a lot of shame yeah I honestly feel we could really just do a podcast on sexual intimacy and trauma alone that's yeah. an idea for next one yeah probably yeah it'd be a good one I mean it's I mean that's an entire conversation on its own that I think is so important particularly with what you've said now where casual sex is so flippant and also like you know I am someone who you know who does have a lack of relationship experience and mm. I get that and particularly for me, there's that shame of coming across as prudish. Yeah. Or, you know, that, like, I'm not going to be good yeah. at pleasuring someone yeah. or myself. And I think definitely that, I think, is such an interesting topic to explore because there is that stigma of these people having trauma being yeah. so open, you know, or going the other way yes. with casual sex. and not not all victims do yeah not all victims are and like then they that. do carry the shame later on if they haven't been sexually intimate or they aren't like you there's nothing wrong with casual sex it, like there, oh, really, there isn't. really is not we're not demonizing, not demonizing it but it's funny that you mentioned shame because when i started saying that before i thought oh my god i'm sounding like such a prude and i didn't necessarily feel shame about that but there was a twinge of oh is this who i've become but yeah it is because these are my values and I once didn't have hold of my values. And I think that's why I'm so belligerent about it now is because when I was engaging in casual sex, it meant nothing to me, like nothing. And it made me feel not dirty, but empty. Like it was, I was fulfilling the expectations of me from a social perspective mm-hmm. and not from anything else. So you kind of felt hollow. Oh, it just didn't mean anything to me. Like, there was no connection in my body. There was no intimacy. It, there was nothing. So what was the purpose? There was no purpose. Except that I didn't... I couldn't own who I was because I'd always been owned by other people. Mm. And I think now the difference is I can own myself and I can share what I want to share with whom I want to share it. And I know that... Um, casual sex is no longer a thing for me hasn't been for a long time would never be again not that I just said never about that because I usually jinx myself when I say never but I know what I want in a relationship and I know what that looks like for me and I know that it aligns with my values and my expectations of what I want my life to look like when it's filled with joy Mm -hmm. and that means sharing it with someone who I am intimately connected with on not just a sexual level but emotional intellectual shared values common visions not identical because that's boring but um uh, other levels of intimacy psychological um and other levels of intimacy that exist beyond just the sex yeah maxwell enough yes he always has to have some sort of attention oh, to everybody. Oh, my Lord. If we want to talk about someone that's suffering from trauma, <laughs> dog will be it. But, yeah, so I think you're right. That would probably be a good panellist discussion, mm. actually, of what sexual intimacy looks like after sexual trauma from through various lenses because I think it's different as you go through the healing journey. Oh, definitely. And as you age. Yeah, Definitely. I, for me, that really struck a chord in my brain about yeah. the power of patience and mm. waiting in a healing journey. Yeah. It's not quick. Oh, fuck no. So, it's, it's, so how, it's how, like, how can we have the stamina and the courage to know that, to just wait and be patient? 
it's it's that was a huge struggle for me oh i think for everyone it is because <laughs> you just want someone to wave a magic wand and you've yeah. decided to heal you're doing some work and it's like me with weight loss like as soon as i start exercising i expect that i should be the size 12 that i aim to be um doesn't happen that way tina keep working mate and you've got to you've just got to keep working but it's also important to know that you can take breaks mm. that when you've had enough you stop doing the conscious healing um so long as you've got enough support structures in place so that you don't drown because you don't want to drown again um once you've come up for air you want to be able to stay afloat and so you need to build in structures and those structures and support mechanisms look different at different stages a lot of our victims um, are on medication for various things anxiety depression um, a lot of things and they say i don't want to be on the meds and i say i get that and i don't blame you because I don't want to be on meds ever either and I don't take them. Um, I've always found other more natural things, but I was lucky that that could work for me. It can't for everyone. And sometimes when you've had an intense amount of trauma and you're just coming out, it hits you like an avalanche and you're under it really quickly. And anything that gives you some stability that is healthy and facilitated by a professional is okay to use. It's also important to know that your therapists and your strategies should be changing regularly. Um, one therapist is not going to suit you for your entire healing journey. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. One strategy is not going to work. I've used multiple strategies at different times throughout the 30-odd years that I was healing for. Um, depending on what was going on, I saw different therapists who had different strengths at different times mm-hmm. to be able to get me through those patches one did more damage than it was worth but it enabled me in the long run to come to terms with the whole breadth of my experience yeah yeah and also trusting that your brain will only give you things that you can deal with Mm -hmm. even though at times that feels too much yeah it's temporary and just keep doing your strategies don't give up so things that are basic that everyone can do brainstorming or writing out what you're feeling with texture on a piece of paper and burning it keeping gratitude for the small things in life at the end of every day what happened today that made me smile or that made me not want to kill myself and I don't say that flippantly um looking at what you love about yourself and about your life Mm. keeping and also keeping a list of what you could control each day I could control what food I put in my mouth because often victims feel like they have no control over that healing process and it often feels like you don't it's a horrible place to be but the rewards at the end of it when you stick it through and it takes time you j- just takes time and i think that's a great way to finish the episode with a final question to anyone that's listening to this mm-hmm. they're frustrated yeah. they're angry yeah. they feel like life's not going anywhere they're not seeing the benefits of their healing journey yeah what words of comfort and advice would you give them holy mother are there any um i would ask them to look in and look at what is going right in their life because there is always something going right there's always some sort of balance and it might be who have you got in your corner who's supporting you what did you do today that felt okay give yourself and give yourself permission to be where you need to be if you can't get up out of bed for three days stay in bed Mm. deal with what you've got to deal with the only caveat to that is please do not do anything to self-harm yeah yourself or others and i think definitely being compassionate towards yourself 
I think it's oh, so important. Absolutely. Be compassionate and kind to yourself. And and reach out. This is where the reaching out to support groups and reaching out to therapists who have who you get on well with, who you connect with is so vital. Um, reach out to them. Reach out to as many people as you can. Start a blog. Do it under a fake name. Share your story there. The thing that really enabled me to move forward was me. I started a blog way back when um, and kept it going for quite a few years and I just poured my heart and soul into that whenever I needed to get it out because I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to. When I say I didn't feel like I had any years and I just poured my heart and soul into that whenever I needed to get it out because I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to. When I say I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to, there probably were people I could talk to but I didn't know about them and I didn't know that they were there and I didn't know how to approach them. So for me, writing it out gave me an audience that was real but one that I didn't necessarily know and it alerted people in my life to what was going on with me so that they could track it. Um, and it enabled me to start using my voice. Yeah. And that, I think, was the single most defining aspect of my healing that supported me was finding my voice. And that's led to the post-traumatic growth with the advocacy and the birth of the Institute, where hopefully, well, not even hopefully, we are already supporting so many victims to move through their life with a little bit more ease than they had prior to us existing. Yeah. So, in summary, reach out. Reach out. Use your voice. Use your voice. But be safe. Be safe. Be safe. Show compassion to yourself. Yep. I can't even summarise it, mate. <laughs> Sometimes there are just things you can't summarise, but That's I mean, right. we tried our best. We did. We did. <laughs> anyway, thank you for being here, Tina. This was actually really interesting. I think there are so many bullet points we touched mm. on in you our know, conversation a lot of circles here yeah and i definitely would love to individually make a podcast episode yeah. on each of those points because they're so important in their own entirety entirety yeah. but i think that was really riveting cool. so thank you for That's joining right. us again that's okay and if anyone wants to reach out to the institute they can contact facebook they can through facebook address. or hello at the blue butterfly institute.org.au yeah um through instagram Facebook, Instagram, 0405-00990. One thing I will say is we're not a crisis counselling service. No, we're not. I, no, I fully recommend Full Stop um, and Lifeline, obviously, but mm-hmm. Full Stop is the old New South Wales Rape Crisis Centre and they have um, crisis counselling and also Blue Knot Foundation offer it during business hours, I think. I could be wrong on that. I'll need to check that. Yeah. yeah. Let your voices be heard. There is healing, there is healing. Let your voices be heard. There is healing in your words. Let your voices be heard. There is healing, there is healing.